Welcome to The Offering with Jerry Hara, the show where we can have a quiet and frank discussion as adults about the things that matter to me, or at least that I think matter to me. Please take a moment to subscribe to our show wherever you get fine podcasts. And hey, stay up to date on future episodes. This week on The Offering, we celebrate the 20th anniversary of The Fast and the Furious. And guess what? You're all family. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Offering. My name is Jerry Hara, and hey, how you doing? We're, we're at the beginning of summer here. It is crazy, man. It starts to get hot out. Ooh, start thinking about sweating. Start thinking about ice cream, going to water parks. That's always an embarrassing time. I mean, unless you're in really good shape, then it's, you know, you're just flaunting your shit at a water park. But God, are they dangerous. One thing that I look forward to more than anything is going to the movies. Because they have great air conditioning. And, and hey, who doesn't want to sit in a nice cold theater and, I don't know, shove popcorn in your face and watch some movies that are not usually that good? Well, we are at the precipice. I don't even know if that's the right word, the precipice. Uh, it is the 20th anniversary of a little film called The Fast and the Furious. Time flies, doesn't it? Released uh, in June... Well, actually, I want to give you the exact date, folks. It was June 22nd, 2001. Where were you? It turns into one of those VH1 shows where it's like, where were you when Fast and the Furious dropped? Let's go for a little ride. This is yours, but if you win, you get her too. What the hell is that all about? A business deal that went sour. Plus, I made the mistake of sleeping with his sister. Well, (laughs) it was shot all in Los Angeles on location in California, which is always a good thing. This film cost $38 million to make which is uh, still a, a sizable film. Uh, and the opening weekend, it did $40 million. It had a cumula- cumulative gross in the United States of $144 million. Worldwide, it did about $210 million. Uh, the movie was a hit, and it introduced us to one Vin Diesel, um, who had done some bit parts, but this was really his coming out party of, oh, wow, this guy's a star. And I think a lot of us were like, Hey, this guy's the new Sylvester Stallone. You know, he's got that kind of vibe, that kind of energy. I did not want to see Fast and the Furious, okay? It's a very bro-y movie. That's the way they were uh, advertising it. I bought the soundtrack because, for some reason, we were all in love with Ja Rule. And Murder, Inc. had done the entire soundtrack. And, you know, it had some bangers on it. And my friends kept saying to me peripherally, they're like, dude, you got to see Fast and the Furious. And I'm like, nope. I have no interest in seeing this film. Like, I, enjoy, I like cars. I like driving them. But I'm just not a car guy. I'm not into it. 
Well, lo and behold, in June, there was really not much else to see in the theater. And as an avid moviegoer, I said, you know what? Everybody says I got to see this movie. I'm going to see it. And you know what? I was enchanted. It won me over with all of its style and charm, uh, especially the charisma of its leads, Paul Walker and Vin Diesel. A lot of people have said that The Fast and the Furious is very reminiscent of another film, which was Point Break. Um, Believe it or not, they actually shot a lot of the sequences in the same places that they shot Point Break. So in spirit, at least location-wise, it looms large. Um, The movie was kind of one of these things where they had gotten the rights to it um, because the producer was uh, the son of the guy who had originally directed the the original Fast and the Furious, which was kind of like a grindhouse, you know, shitty movie that was made in the 60s that was kind of exploitive of car culture. It's just the way it was. So it was actually under the Roger Corman banner. Um, Rob Cohen, who had directed uh, Dragon the Bruce Lee story, He really wanted to get this movie made, Um, and he did everything in his power. And it gets a little bit strange. Now, initially, when they were casting this movie, um, they tried to get everybody they could. The first person they offered it to was Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg was like, hey, you know, maybe this could be a good project for me. So he flirted with it, but never signed on the dotted line. So in order to get the Brian O'Connor slot filled, they were like, well, who's our second choice? Shockingly, their second choice was Christian Bale. And they really tried to get Christian Bale to play this role. It didn't work out. And then because at this uh, point in hip hop, Eminem was so huge, they tried to get Eminem. And I love him. I think Marshall Mathers is great, but he's a terrible actor. Eight Mile is passable because he's essentially just playing himself, which isn't that hard to do. Uh, All of these people were considered for the role of Brian O'Connor. And then they finally landed on one actor. Okay, and this is where it gets weird. They landed on the actor, Timothy Oliphant. And he, he was pretty much the one that was in the heaviest negotiations to play the role. At the last minute, he pulled out. And what ended up happening was... The movie obviously goes on to make a billion dollars, and it's you know, a great movie. He regretted it so much that once he got offered um, Gone in 60 Seconds, he took it. And the reason that he took that movie was because he regretted not taking the other car movie. And he basically said to his wife, he's like, this is a sign. Like, I, like, <laughs> I didn't take Fast and the Furious. I need to take this car movie. And that movie made a lot of money. It, it, it's a good movie. It's dumb as fuck, but it's, it's a good movie. Um. So, as we get down the line of all these actors, Paul Walker was offered the movie. And Rob Cohen was like, look, take the weekend, go think about it. Paul Walker goes to the movies by himself, and he sees Donnie Brasco. And he says, oh, wait, you know, this is a good part. He's like, uh, you know, Johnny Depp is undercover. He's like, there's something for me to do with this part. So, if you ever want to blame or... (laughs) I don't even know if you would call it blame. If you, The existence of Paul Walker playing Brian O'Connor was due to the fact of Johnny Depp uh, with Al Pacino and Donnie Brasco. Um, when they got to the, to the role of uh, as far as trying to cast Mia O'Connor, because when they, when they were trying to do this film, they were really going for a more like, like dramatic type of spin. But I think ultimately the movie changed as time went on. Um, 
this is pretty crazy. So the short list of people that were offered and auditioned for Fast and the Furious. You ready for this, kids? Okay, put <laughs> hold on. Natalie Portman ended up passing on it, but she did audition. Sarah Michelle Gellar auditioned. Kirsten Dunst auditioned. Uh, Bijou Phillips and Jessica Biel all auditioned for the role of Mia Toretto. And guess what, folks? None of them took the part, uh, as crazy as it is. Um, initially, when Cohen was writing the film, uh, he was friends with Eliza Dushku. And he was writing the part for her. And then once he gave her the script, she turned it down. Well, don't you feel stupid now, Eliza? <laughs> Does everybody feel stupid? The working titles for this movie included Racer X, which they were they were like, eh, well, you know, because it was an homage to Speed Racer. The other one was Redline, which ended up becoming a crappy, almost direct-to-video movie in its own. And then finally, the film that was the working title that they were shooting a lot of it, Race Wars. Okay. Now, I know, I know that the end of the film has a big part of it is Race Wars, but Jesus Christ, as we look back, this was probably not the uh, the best title for, for a film was Race Wars. I, I get it. I get it. Um, Vin Diesel's character in this movie was written to be 24 years old. In reality, Diesel was 34, about to turn 35. So people always say like, oh, you know, you chase your dreams and you work really hard. Well, look, he didn't get his breakout movie until he was 35 years old. So keep chasing those dreams and, and doing what you can. Um, the movie was actually a joy to shoot and everybody got along. It worked. There was no on set drama. Everybody was working their ass off to make this picture work because at that time it was kind of, I wouldn't say a big budget, but it was a mid-budget studio film, and Universal had a lot of faith in it, so they were going to do whatever they could to push it forward. Now, when they had the first rough cut of the film, they submitted it to the MPAA, and they got an R rating, and they were like, well, you know, we want to sell this film wide, and, and that became like the strategy in the early 2000s was if we're going to sell a movie, we have to sell it to this younger audience. It's the only way we can make money. So they had to cut some of, you know, obviously one thing that the Fast and the Furious franchise is known for is a lot of hot girls dancing half naked. So they had to cut a lot of those shots. But really the biggest thing that they had the problem with was the final robbery showing Vince's arm getting, mutil getting mutilated. And that was a big thing because... In that end sequence, uh, the character Vince gets his arm almost ripped off. So there was a lot of gore, and they decided that, you know, the only way that they were going to get a PG-13 was to cut most of it out. So you see some of his arm, and you see, like, it's bloody, and they're covering it, but they cut the sequence out completely. Uh, the reason Fast and the Furious works is because you have this bizarre friendship between the Brian O'Connor and Dominic Toretto characters, obviously Diesel and Walker respectively. It works because there's a sense of friendship and there's a sense of belonging. And I think what happens is when you're at a certain age, you know, you've graduated high school and you've, I mean, these characters that they're playing are supposed to be in their early twenties. You kind of want to find your people. And a lot of the fast and the furious is about finding your people. 
and that there's an enclave of, of folks that share the same hopes and desires. I can't even believe I'm saying hopes and desires, but the same goals and common interests and cars. Nobody thought that Fast and Furious would go on to become what it has become. They won't even disclose the budget for Fast 9. The, the budget for the newest film, as, as we're waiting for it now, should be coming out. Maybe it already came out. I don't know when you're listening to this. You might be listening in the future. If you've time traveled and you're listening to this, well, it didn't come out yet. But it's supposed to come out. Okay, I don't know. Is it? Who knows? I think the reason Fast and the Furious works is the dynamic between Walker and Diesel. Um, there's just something whether it's Lethal Weapon, whether it's Point Break, there is a bit of that, the the buddy action film. Sometimes it's a buddy comedy, but this is more of a buddy action film. Uh, it, it largely rests on the shoulders of those two actors pulling it all together and making it work. At the time of recording this, they're, because this is what always happens whenever you give shit to a studio, they were like, hey, can you, you know, kind of wrap it up with Fast and the Furious 10. And the studio was like, yeah, you could wrap it up with 10, but let's make it a two-parter like Harry Potter. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll segment it. So the plan now is after Fast 9 that they're going to do a finale that's going to be two movies because Jesus Christ, we need the money. You know what? If you produced the Fast and the Furious and you were lucky enough to get this many installments, maybe you shouldn't hedge your bets. By the way, as of the time of this recording... Um, Fast 9 has already made close to $300 million globally. That's pretty good. I mean, the movie cost like $200 million plus. Yeah, add in, you know, we always say take half of whatever the budget is of the movie, and that's what they used for marketing purposes. And Jesus, I mean, we're living now in a post-pandemic time, and theaters have reopened, trying to get back to normal. Uh, we were supposed to see Fast and the Furious 9 Jesus, in 2020, uh, which would have been nice, but then the pandemic happened and, and really rained on our parade. Jesus. <laughs> it's like taking life for granted. Um, <laughs> in this movie, Fast and the Furious starts the, the, uh, the, the product partnership with Corona. Um, Corona was, was, was not aware that they were going to use that in the film, but it was basically an idea of Vin Diesel. Um, they sent the movie, they had a, a private screening for the people at Corona, and they signed off on it and said, yeah, that's great. We would love to be in business with you guys. So, I mean, a lot of decisions here that Vin Diesel makes for this film carry on to, throughout the whole series. And, and that's the other thing I wanted to talk about with you guys was this was one of those movies that by all, all purposes was a lot of people call it a point break ripoff. And in some ways it is, but it's a trope. That's a trope of, of, of a cop going undercover. You know, I mean, there's always movies where cops go undercover, but I think uh, the difference is, is that it's with a cool, sexy person, whether it's Bodie, who is Patrick Swayze, or whether it's Dominic Toretto. You know, it's one of those things. Everybody wants to be caught up in that cool and sexy life. And I can tell you, most times, criminals do not look like Patrick Swayze or, or Vin Diesel. I mean, just the odds of it are, are against you there. So if you're looking for sexy people, don't go into the criminal underworld. It's not going to work out for you. Um, this is crazy, too, that uh, before the first race, 
Leon states that it is a 187 in Glendale. Glendale is actually the birthplace of Paul Walker. And uh, there's all these little tidbits that were put in this movie that were references that nobody else would get and that we're, we're talking about right now. Um, e- even just strange things, because um, when they're at the party after the first race, uh, the song Area Codes is playing by Ludacris, and it can be clearly heard. And obviously, Ludacris would go on to play Taj in the numerous sequels within the franchise. So it's like, in this world, I think if we're going to play it straight, Ludacris and Taj are two different people. You know, like, so we, we in, in the fast universe, we, Ludacris exists, which is really kind of a crazy thing. Um, they had about 10 of the 1999 Mitsubishi Eclipse G, GST that Paul Walker is driving in the start. They destroyed these. Uh, Paul Walker destroyed two of them specifically. Uh, they were doing some different scenes with drifting, and he smacked the crap out of those cars, and they were unusable. So they ended up having 10, but it's kind of, okay, there were 10 real cars that were used, and then they made like two replica bodies that were just used for stunts. So at the end of the day, they went through 12 of those eclipses, which is just insane to me. Um, That's the other thing with this movie is that these are real cars. Once you start getting into the sequels, there's a lot of CGI and nope, this movie, everything that you see is really being done. Um, something that I noticed when I was watching it too, uh, do yourself a favor. If you haven't picked up the steel book, which is the 20th anniversary of this, I really recommend you picking up because it looks gorgeous. It's been remastered in 4k Mick Rogers, who did all the stunts for this film. Um, I never realized this when they're loading all the DVD players into the, um, into the truck, the truck says Rogers shipping. And I didn't, it took me all these years, took 20 years for me to realize it, but I was like, oh, it's a nice little nod. Mick Rogers has done everything. He's probably one of the greatest stunt coordinators of all time. You know, whether it's, you go to the the Mad Max or whether you go to um, the Smokey and the Bandit films, he he worked on just about everything under Hal Needham. So that's where he kind of uh, learned his craft, so to speak. At one point, studio executives weren't exactly keen on Vin Diesel. And this is about two weeks into shooting. And they kind of had a, a contingency plan. And the contingency plan was to replace him with Colin Farrell if it didn't go right. So Colin Farrell actually made $2 million because they had to keep him on like a retainer in case they decided to pull Diesel from the role and put him into it. So, yeah, it was one of those things like with Marlon Wayans when he was supposed to play Robin in Batman Returns, and they ended up having to pay him anyway. So, I mean, hey, it worked out for Colin Farrell. He got $2 million. Um, Paul Walker was the first actor to sign on. He was the first one, and he believed in the project wholeheartedly. Uh, Vin Diesel took a little bit more persuasion, um, and basically he went to the screenwriter and said, hey, you know, if we're going to do this, can you make these changes? And you can see how Vin Diesel started to really adopt this persona of Dominic Toretto. And he was always very involved with the story process to make it fit his strengths. And I think that's important. I know like some people say, well, 
oh, it's kind of an egotistical thing to do. But if if you want to make a role work, you really have to make it your own. And I, I think that's for any part. Um, whoa, this is crazy. This is so crazy. I just self-censored myself. I'm like, this is crazy. During the barbecue scene, when Vince finally sits down, they all start eating while the camera is fading away from the table. You can hear Leon briefly say, what, did you go rent a movie or something? That was actually a flub. That that line wasn't supposed to be in there, and for some reason it, it ends up in there. I don't know why it's in there, but yeah, it's in there. The 1970 Charger that Dom drives in both Brian's Eclipse and Supra, as they are seen in the latest Fast and the Furious car packs from Forza Motorsport 6 and Forza Horizon 2. There have been over, I want to say I'm going to count them now, been about five different appearances of the Fast and Furious cars in uh, games kind of as a a tribute, whether or not it was legal for them to put them in. Their hidden content in both Forza Motorsport 6 and Forza Horizon 2. Oh boy. Though being uncredited, the opening sequence with the trailer loaded with electronics takes place in the container shipping port in Staten Island, New York. And the bridge visible in the background was the Gothels Bridge, which connects Staten Island, New York, and Elizabeth, New Jersey. So that whole opening container sequence where we see Roger's container shot in New York. It was the only uh, sequence in the film not to be shot in uh, Los Angeles. Um, There's some really weird shit in here. I mean, obviously, everyone knows this one. Like Rob Cohen, he was the pizza driver in the beginning. He's like, damn, street racers? That That's the director of the movie. Um, he kind of sticks out because he's like the only person that looks like they're over the age of 40 in the entire movie, uh, other than the detectives who are there. Um, yeah, I mean, when you think about it, in contrast with other things, you're like, well, how does this franchise work? How does it subsist? It subsists on the fact that people like fast cars, okay? The first movie's a hit, and whether or not you like it or love it, it's a movie that has cemented its place in history because here we are 20 years later and 10 installments, if you count Hobbes versus Shaw, um... The movie, the movie series was not always guaranteed to be a hit. Now, when they did Too Fast, Too Furious, which I think is the greatest film title of all time, you had John Singleton come on board. And I love John Singleton, rest in peace. He was one of my favorite directors because I feel that Singleton never made a shitty movie. Like, he never made a movie that I was like, oh, this is terrible, and I shut it off. Every movie he made is entertaining and watchable. And... Too Fast, Too Furious is kind of a victim of Vin Diesel blowing up. Um, they wanted to have him in the sequel. You know, it, it was written for him. But unfortunately, he got offered Triple X, and that was Sony behind that, and they paid him a lot of money for Triple X. It was, it was one of those things where he went from making like a million, two million dollars for this movie to going to almost 20 million. So his trajectory was just so quick that because I think at that point we had burned out of a lot of our action stars. Um, you know, Stallone kind of aged out, Schwarzenegger, and you know, even Bruce Willis was doing stuff like The Sixth Sense. So by contrast, um, the world was looking for an action star. And I think that 
they were looking for Vin Diesel to be that next big action star. So they were willing to pay him whatever he wanted. And then even when they make the Chronicles of Riddick, he got paid a ridiculous amount and they spent tons of money on it. Now, I know some people out there, they love Pitch Black, but they don't like the Chronicles of Riddick. Go back and rewatch the Chronicles of Riddick. It's actually a really good movie. Um, well, I can't even say that. I can't lie to you. It's not a good movie, but it's got a lot of interesting stuff because it rips off good stuff from other better science fiction movies, whether it's the heavy metal comic books, whether it's Dune. So please, give it a critical reappraisal. Go back and watch the Chronicles of Riddick. It's ridiculous. It's a bit cringy, but I really enjoy it. And, and I think you will, too. I mean, there's a lot of good things about The Chronicles, but this is not about The Chronicles, Riddick. Let me get back on track here. You're listening to The Offering with Jerry Hara. Got a question or a story you want to share with me? It might be featured in a future episode. Email me at jerryhara at gmail.com or hit me up on Twitter at jerryhara. I'm also on Instagram. You can find me there at jerryhara. Rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review in an upcoming episode. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to The Offering. Now back to the show. ends up being a huge hit. Now, we introduce Tyrese's character into this film, and we bring back Paul Walker. Um, we have Ava Mendez. Is, um, was it Ava Mendez? Yeah. She's the, uh, she's the love interest slash FBI agent. That movie worked, and I saw that. Again, it was another one. I was like, hey, I'll go for another Too Fast, Too Furious. Who cares? We'll go and we'll see it. It was a big hit. It, it worked. But I think a lot of people were like, hey, you know, it really kind of is missing the Vin Diesel component. So I look at Too Fast, Too Furious. If it had, if it had not been a hit, I think it would have killed the franchise. It would have just sunk it. But they made it work. You know, they, they made the whole franchise work. And there's some dumb shit that I don't like about Too Fast. Um one of the things I don't like is kind of the cartoony color scheme that they use for the characters. Like Suki's car is pink, you know, Brian's car is blue, and they use like the blue ground effects, the pink ground effects. And it, it kind of becomes like a cartoon, which in fact, years later on Netflix, we would have a cartoon that's about Dominic Toretto's cousin. It's called the Fast and the Furious Spy Racers. It's a good cartoon for kids, but... Jesus Christ, are we stretching it? So by the time we get to Tokyo Drift, which becomes something totally different, um, they initially, the studio heads did not like Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift. And they were like, well, what do you want us to do with it? So they said, well, why don't we just, we've had so much success doing these American Pie movies direct-to-video, let's put Tokyo Drift um, direct-to-video. So... It's crazy because you think about this this film series is such a gigantic monstrosity. And at, it's almost like the career of Cher and Sylvester Stallone, unkillable at every turn. Because they didn't have Vin Diesel in the second one. The third one, they didn't have 
Brian O'Connor or Dominic Toretto. So you don't have that going for it. It's a totally new story. You got Lucas Black. You got uh, Shad Moss, who is a.k.a. Little Bow Wow. Uh, I hope Little Bow Wow comes back for this new movie. I'm kind of excited because he was kind of a cool character. Um, You introduce a lot of new characters, obviously, because we're kind of starting from scratch. And that's where we get into, um, into the character of Han, who ends up becoming one of the most beloved characters in the entire franchise. And really, he gets killed in this movie. I mean, Sung Kang comes in, he, he kills the part, and it's, it's a great role for him, and they kill him <laughs> when the movie's over. So it's, well, uh, how are they going to bring him back? Oh, don't you wait. Hold my beer. They're, hold my Corona. They're going to bring him back. So this is where it gets crazy. Um, the producers said, hey, look, they, I, and I forget what it was. They gave Vin Diesel like a car or something ridiculous, and he showed up for one scene as a cameo at the end of the movie. And... Hey, I mean, they gave him like a $100,000 vehicle, so I guess it worked out for Vin Diesel. It worked out for everybody else. Well, despite all this, despite a, a Toretto-less and a O'Connor-less sequel, Tokyo Drift makes a ton of money. So you know what time it is. Well, guess what? Paul Walker's career is kind of floundering by this point. So is Vin Diesel, because Chronicles of Riddick came out. <laughs> Everybody realized, wow, this guy is not the second coming of Stallone. Uh, Fast and the Furious comes out. And, well, excuse me. I, I got to go back in time here. So Tokyo Drift had come out. It did pretty well. And they said, hey, we've got the money. Let's do a fourth movie. So they bring this fourth movie, which is just called Fast and the Furious. And this is why this whole fucking franchise is so batshit crazy. Because even I, as a fan, I get confused with the titles. I really do. This one's Fast This. This one's Furious. Sometimes, you know, like the new one's called Fast 9. So they're not Furious. They're just Fast. You know, it's fucking confusing. All right? It's confusing. One of the greatest takeaways from Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift was the director, Justin Lin who had imported the character of Han, which is the character Sung Kang plays, uh, from his film Better Luck Tomorrow, which is a great film. If you haven't seen that movie and you want to be a Lin completist, go back and watch it. It's actually a really good drama. Um, Lin seemed to put this whole franchise back on track. Now, in 2009, we're able to get back everyone. Uh, We're able to get back Brian O'Connor, we're able to get back Vin Diesel, Dominic Toretto, Jordana Brewster. Uh, Jesus Christ, what's her name? Rodriguez. She's in this. Every, everybody's in this movie. We got, we got everybody back. Because at this point, I mean, let's be honest. What, 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 was, uh, what was Vin, <laughs> Vin Diesel? What was Paul Walker was doing? Um, he's doing Snow Dogs or something like that or Eight Below or whatever the hell it was. I get that movie confused because there were two different Snow Dogs movies. There was a Snow Dog movie with Cuba Gooden Jr. Because it's like, oh, you won an Oscar. What do you want to do? Stupid movie about snow dogs. You know, I think, and and you can get at me at Jerry Haro on every goddamn social media known to man. I'm pretty sure that the one that Paul Walker made was called Eight Below. It wasn't bad either. Like, it's, it's a movie about Paul Walker and some huskies. It's a nice movie for the family. Well, we were going to get this thing back on track. Um... Now, again, we talk about Escalation. This movie, 
the fa- Fast and Furious, which was the 2009 edition, um, cost $85 million to make. But they realize, cumulatively in the United States, it made about $200 million, and then overseas, it, it made $400 million total. So now we've, we've kind of got a money train going on here. Everybody's back. Um, a lot of people, they have different feelings about Fast and Furious 2009. It's one of my favorites in the series. You've got a lot of ridiculous stuff. Um, this is where they, they add Tego Calderon and Don Omar, uh, who are two reggaeton artists. And that kind of adds a lot to it. Uh, having a lot of the Latin American infusion of music and location. So it definitely gives this film a much different flavor. Uh, It works, and it makes a lot of money. And at a certain point, they weren't going to make this movie, but I guess they didn't have anything else going on. And as we live in the age of IPs, well, it is what it is. The real money, though, the real money, where this series starts to take off and really gets its thing is Fast Five. Because they, they engineer kind of a heist movie. And they, they get this formula like, okay, let's take all these characters. Let's bring back characters. Let's bring back Roman Pierce, who was um, Tyrese. Uh, let's bring back Taj, who, who was uh, Ludacris. Chris Bridges was the actor who played Ludacris. Uh, So they bring everybody back, they give them a heist, and as he said before, when they paid him uh, $15 million to do G.I. Joe Retaliation, Dwayne Johnson will tell you he's franchise Viagra, and I think it was the first time that they had someone who was a good enough antagonist to Vin Diesel. Now... What's crazy is, in this movie, we're introduced to to Gal Gadot, uh, who would later go on to be Wonder Woman. So you've, this movie, like, I have to say, Fast Five, it's got, the, it's got the best title. Fast Five is such a great title. But man, this bitch is fully loaded. Um, recently canceled actor <laughs> Gina Carano uh, is in this film. Um, everybody's in this movie. You know, everybody's in Fast Five, and it works, and it becomes the biggest hit of them all. Uh, This movie went on to gross, I want to say, $600 million worldwide. It was the biggest of the franchise. Um, So now Universal is looking at this and saying, hey, we're going to have theme park rides. Now, if you've had the unfortunate distinction of going to either Hollywood or Orlando, Universal Studios, and you've ridden Fast and the Furious Supercharged, it is one of the worst rides. It's one of those track rides where you're kind of like on a tram and things are moving. It's terrible. It's one of the worst fucking attractions I've ever been on that's based on, on a movie or a franchise. It's just terrible. I don't know if anyone at Universal Studios is listening, but Jesus Christ, if you're going to make a ride that's about a series of movies where people race in fucking cars, maybe you could put the ride, I don't know, maybe I'm fucking crazy, you make the ride that you're in a car and you're racing and something's going on. Like Universal just recently did uh, Super Nintendo World and they did Mario Kart. Guess what? You're in a fucking cart. It's Mario Kart. It's not rocket science here, folks. 
sorry, I'm just very passionate about theme park attractions. And Fast and the Furious deserves better than that. You know it. I know it. So we'll just leave it at that. The, the rest is in your hands, Universal Studios. Step your game up. You've been put on notice. You've been put on notice. Beep, beep, beep. Sorry. I, I feel like it's one of those things. Um, Fast and the Furious 6 comes. And hey, we're, we're now, we're, now we're cooking with gas. We're in Europe. Uh, we're doing all kinds of crazy things. We just keep adding people to the cast. And then... We try to fix the timeline, the wacky timeline, because if you try to watch these movies in any kind of order, people will tell you different things. Oh, you got to watch three here, and three is in the future, and this one's in the past. And by the time, spoiler alert, by the time you get to Fast and Furious 6, we find out that dun dun dun, Jason Statham is the one who killed uh, Han's character. <sighs> so. By the time we get to Furious 7, unfortunately, Paul Walker passes, and they really don't know what they're going to do. And Furious 7 might be, I mean, for my money, I think Fast 5 is the best of the franchise. I think that's the high point. Furious 7, you've got Jason Statham, who's out for revenge because they, they went after his brother. So now you've got a problem where the heart of the franchise, uh, Paul Walker, is not in this movie. So they, they do some, I mean, this happened similarly uh, with Brandon Lee and the crow and digital technology was not where it was. So they had to use a lot of smoke and mirrors for anything that they didn't shoot with Brandon Lee. Uh, luckily they had shot more of the sequences um, that they needed to with furious seven. And they also wanted to make the, the, the movie like a tribute you know, uh, to Paul Walker. The movie's gigantic. Uh, Furious 7 is the one where the movie did over a billion dollars. I mean, it, it's it's the, the high point financially of the series. Um, believe it or not, uh, the Tony Jaa, one of my favorites, he's in the movie as kind of uh, the, the heavy to Statham. Um, he was originally going to be played by Dave Bautista. And... Um, Dave Batista was desperately trying to get that Gears of War movie made. So he's like, no, stay in development with this film rather than do it. And he kind of regrets it, you know, because it would have been cool to have Dave in there. But it was just weird that you you went from like this big hulking dude to like Tony Jaa, totally different body types. But it, it works. And, I, you know, uh, for whatever reason, Furious 7 um, is this billion dollar movie. And it has the song with Charlie Puth and um, Wiz Khalifa. Uh, that ends up being a huge hit. Uh, when Will I See You Again? It's been a long day without you, my friend. And I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. We've come a long way from where we began. Oh, I'll tell you all about it when I see you again, when I see you again. Damn, oh no, all the planes we um, Furious 7 was like insane because it was one of those movies that um, they had the New York premiere and I got invited to see it. And I have to tell you, 
There wasn't a dry eye in that audience because they really had found a fitting tribute to Paul Walker in that film, and it was a testament to everything this franchise was. Now, in a perfect world, Furious 7 is where we get out of our, our chargers, we go home and call it a day. But no, 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 no. Uh, personally, if I was in charge of this franchise, you maybe could have taken the Dominic Toretto character and put him into something else and gone with the escalation. Because, I mean, I just think that they shouldn't have moved forward with the Fast and Furious movies after Seven. I think they should have spun it off and done their own thing. You know, hey, maybe Vin Diesel goes on an adventure with Dwayne Johnson. and they Because I always had fun with these movies and I hate saying like guilty pleasure because I have so many of them. So everything I like is a guilty pleasure, but man, I, I got to tell you, fuck physics. That's what these movies had to be called. Now there's a point in, uh, I think it's furious six, which I can't even, I can't keep track of fast and furious six. There's a scene where, um, Dominic Toretto goes smashing out of a car on a freeway, like on an overpass, and then catches Michelle Rodriguez's character. And I was just like, okay, that's it. Like, if there's a nuke the fridge, jump the shark moment, six is, is where, like, it's just like, okay, these people are superheroes. And, you know, like, the movies have embraced that where it's ridiculous and, and I can get behind it. They did the fate of the Furious. Oh, boy. Because we have to. Because the movie made over a billion dollars. And, uh, you know, I, I hate to say it, but I would have made the same call. I would have said, yeah, let's get them all back together again. Let's do another one. Because the way a studio thinks is they will run a franchise into the ground. They don't care. They are even... Back in the old days, the hope was if you did a sequel, you knew it would be a lesser movie. Like Jaws 2. You knew it would be a lesser movie, but if you made half of what you made on the first movie it was considered a sound financial investment. Fate of the Furious, most notably, is, hey, we don't have Paul Walker, so now we have to bring in some digital trickery. And this is where I kind of disagree. Um, they should have just ended it and let him and Mia go off into the sunset, and that's it. It's a wrap, you know? But they brought back in uh, Paul Walker's brothers, and they were able to get some motion capture stuff and kind of shoehorn them a little bit into part eight. Well, that was the least of their problems. The, the most of their problems was Dwayne Johnson and Vin Diesel. And this was widely reported. At first, I thought it was a work because uh, they were just trying to promote the film. But ultimately, there was a lot of bad blood between Dwayne Johnson and Vin Diesel. They did not get along. Um, <laughs> Vin, uh, the Rock basically went on on Instagram and he was just talking shit and like he didn't say who he was talking shit about but we all know it was Vin Diesel and like I said I thought this was a pro wrestling thing um, to sell the film and it wasn't they really did not get along and it was so bad in fact that Universal had uh, Dwayne Johnson signed on for another film because he basically had signed a three picture deal which would have been seven eight nine they could not get Vin Diesel and Dwayne Johnson to sit down together. Like, literally, these guys would not be amicable. So that's why they did Hobbs and Shaw. Because they figured, okay, we're getting another action movie out of Dwayne Johnson. And it fulfills the contract. So contractually, 
the reason Hobbs and Shaw is is called like the the Fast and Furious saga or whatever it is, they had to do that because contractually Dwayne Johnson was supposed to be in another Fast and the Furious movie. So, look, by the time we get to Hobbs and Shaw, okay, you got Idris Elba. He's a great villain. He does what he, he does what he's doing. It's a bad movie. There's no reason for this movie to be two hours and 47 minutes. What are we fucking doing? What are we doing? You got Ryan Reynolds, and he's deadpooling it up in this movie. You got Kevin Hart, and he's Kevin Harting it up in this movie. And I'm just saying to myself, why can't this just be an hour and a half? Like, the perfect example of what I was looking for this movie is Tango and Cash. And you know what? Tango and Cash is 94 minutes long, and it's fantastic because it gives you everything you want. But this has been my problem with a lot of studio films in the last uh, 15 years has been everything has to be this epic end-all, be-all, Lord of the Rings. And like I said, like the 90-minute movie is such a great sweet spot, especially for action, for horror, and for comedy. Because you got your three-act structure, it moves, the pacing is on point. Uh, they're doing another Hobbs and Shaw movie because it's it's in the it's in the cards. And no one's ever going to listen to me or take any of my criticism because I'm just some schmuck. But make it 90 minutes. Make a Hobbs and Shaw movie. You know, do something a little more. I mean, it's ridiculous because. They had introduced, by the time we had gotten to, you know, Fast Five, they had the whole thing with, like, Michelle Rodriguez is still alive. It became a telenovela. It became a soap opera at that point. It was fucking silly as shit. I mean, at this point, what are we even doing anymore? So, after Hobbs and Shaw, which Hobbs and Shaw made a lot of money, don't get me wrong, but in that movie, as Idris Elba says, I'm Black Superman. So it was the first of the Fast and Furious or Fast and Furious adjacent films to introduce a science fiction plot about a super soldier type of thing. And look, once you start introducing elements of other genres, okay, you can introduce like, hey, you want to do some comedy? Oh, do some comedy. But if you introduce science fiction principles, well, now, now that's it. The cat's out of the bag and, you know, what are we really doing? That brings us to present day. We have been waiting uh, worldwide. They've gotten to see it. Um, Fast 9. Uh, I heard it's fun. We know that we're getting two more movies. And unfortunately, it's the law of diminishing returns with any franchise. Uh, to think back 20 years ago, that we it was almost quaint thinking about that this was a point break ripoff. You know, like it was just a summer pot, pot boiler. It was something that was a little bit like car splo- car exploitation uh, in 2001. And now this little franchise that could is making billions of dollars. There's action figures, there's toys, there's video games. Uh, you know, it's it's insane to think of how far we've come with this franchise. But here's what I'll tell you. If it's a hot summer night, and you got some Coronas, and you got some of your friends, go back and watch The Fast and the Furious, because it's a lot of fun. It's a fun movie. You want to have a fun double feature? Put the projector in the backyard, watch Fast and the Furious, do a, do a double feature with Point Break. You know what? It's, it's a good night for bromance. 
And that is the takeaway, folks. I enjoy these movies. Do you enjoy them? I mean, you have to if you've sat through this podcast. Jesus Christ. No, but I mean, I enjoy these films. I really do. And I think they're a lot of fun. They're popcorn movies. And there's nothing wrong with that. Have they overstayed their welcome? Well, I guess we're going to find out when my fat ass sits down in a theater and watches Fast 9. But hey, one way or the other, we're getting two more movies. We're getting that two-part finale, which will bring them to 10 and 11. So you've got 10, 11, and then if you add Hobbs and Shaw, that's 12. If you add another Hobbs and Shaw movie, that would bring them to 13. And you know what? Call me a superstitious man, but it might be time to put Fast and the Furious back in the garage. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Jerry Hara. This has been The Offering. And remember, don't go to sleep unless you have something worth dreaming about. You've been listening to The Offering with Jerry Hara. I'm very sorry. Produced by Pete Bune. If you have a question or story you want to share with me, we'd love to hear from you. You can email me at jerryhara at gmail.com or hit us up at Twitter at jerryhara or on Instagram at jerryhara. You get in the picture? Subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are provided for you and your family. I want you to enjoy. Just join us next time for another offer.